Midnight Facts for Insomniacs. <laughs> I just learned something. Oh, I'm having fun now. But in 1936, a German from Russia who was living in Estonia named Walter Zapp told his wife, Honey, I shrunk the camera when he built and marketed the Minox, that was the first ever sub-miniature camera. Horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> that made me stammer at the utter horrific nature of that oh, pun. I knew that was going to be... <laughs> Hey, Duncan. Hey! This is Spies Mark II. Nice! And it's interesting. Last episode, I felt weird about that one. I, I felt bad about that episode. Huh. I think I approached it wrong. Okay. I, I feel like the episode turned out okay, mm-hmm. but I think it could have been much better. All right. I took a topic that I really should have broken into bite-sized chunks. It was just too much. Hmm. To do the history of espionage in half an hour is ambitious. <laughs> I had to say asinine, but sure. Some might say delusional. I like to go with ambitious. Yes, right. Understating things as always. And so I thought there was a lot of interesting information in there, mm. but I had to skip over a lot of, you know, little details. The entire KGB. And, you know, it's just like I mentioned, I think, KGB in like one line. Right. right? Like, the developing of codes. You, yeah. you mentioned code breaking and we didn't mention codes, but like once in like the Mary Queen of Scots bit. Fair. Yeah. At some point, maybe we'll do like a revisionist version, not a revisionist history, right. but a revisionist podcast of the history podcast. Got it. Just to delve into these more. Yeah. And especially things like the CIA, the KGB, NSA, any of those could be its own episode. Oh, dude, for days. And probably should be. And so that's fine. We would consider last week's episode a very sketchy overview with minor deep dives into maybe not even the right topics. It's like Mary Queen of Scots. That went on for quite a while. I don't I don't know why. Because there were a lot of Franks and we were just like, Frank, got I, it. So I go down rabbit holes. Like sometimes in my research, I'll get interested in one thing. And that I'm very into history. And that was a very interesting historical situation. And it was tangentially related to, to the subject. So I was like, I guess we're going to do 12 minutes on this. <laughs> it's kind of how my comedy works. Yes. So in this one, we're specifically going to go deep dive into Spy technology, okay. not super modern spy technology. And we'll get into the reason that that's not quite as interesting, honestly. Hmm. But we're going to talk about the evolution of spy technology. Yeah, I know a little bit about modern, super modern technology. And it really is just like, OK, so you're tapping into cell phone towers or creating them. Got it. And that stuff can be really fascinating when you deep dive specifically into that. But that would take a whole episode to make it interesting. Yeah. Or even comprehend it. Like, right. Because otherwise it just sounds like a dude at a computer. It's mm, yeah, cool. That's what most espionage is now, mm-hmm. is literally just a bunch of dudes at a bunch of computers. Yeah. Not quite as exciting as a lipstick gun. We'll get to it. Which is super cool. So at its most basic, espionage involves the covert acquisition of information, mm. as we have covered. If you are trying to keep your own secrets while stealing someone else's, you are engaged in at least some level of espionage. Correct. And you have a variety of techniques at your disposal. Those can be as simple as whispering. Or passing notes. Every third grade classroom is a hotbed of espionage. Yes, of dubious relatability. Most of us probably practiced Pig Latin as kids. Or developed secret languages or code words with our friends. Yeah. Even inside jokes are kind of a covert language. Yes, I've always hated them. (laughs) 
it is kind of like uh, the spies are like the cool kids. Yeah. They have the info and they don't want anyone else to have the info. No. Yeah. From the early days of human history, we have relied on technology, however primitive, to help us keep and or transmit our secrets. Mm-hmm. The most primitive method for protecting information is to make that information physically difficult to obtain. Hmm. Just hide it. Just conceal the information in an unexpected location. Hollow out a tooth. Or cut a hole in the pages of a book. Pour out the soda from a Pepsi can. Just empty items. Very popular in the spy game. A famous spy saying, when in doubt, hollow it out. <laughs> I'm sure that is not, but... It should be, though. <laughs> All right, fair enough. So steganography is the science of concealing the existence of a message. Hmm. For instance, in ancient Greece, one method was to shave a slave's head, tattoo the message on his or her scalp, and then let the hair grow back. Ouch. This is a great method if your message is not super urgent. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> your house is on fire. Not a great scalp oh, message. No, no. Three like, weeks later. <laughs> like your house was on fire. My bad. I'm not good at making toast it was a whole it was a whole toast debacle i'm very far away by now so don't don't bother looking for me that's a lot to write on a some bloody-headed slave shows up kind of reminds me of johnny mnemonic remember like where a corporation imprints information into the guy's brain right to transmit it like if yeah they mnemonic send courier it somewhere yeah, yeah mnemonic courier this is like the least high-tech version of that it's just yes. <laughs> instead of implanting it in his brain it's just writing it on the brain area on the cranial area. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, now that I think about it, it's, it's really nothing like that at all. <laughs> it is, though, implanting information somewhere on a person and then using them as the courier for it. And right. they couldn't be aware of it because he can't. you can't see your own scalp, like not even in a mirror. So that is kind of smart because the message that you put on the head of the slave, that slave's not going to figure that out. He'd have to have his buddy come over and tell him, in which case, well, that wouldn't be good because now the secret's out. Even more people know. <laughs> I guess it's not <laughs> foolproof. <laughs> foolproof. Again, <laughs> kind of nothing like Johnny Mnemonic. <laughs> so concealment devices were some of the earliest forms of spying technology. And if you want to share secret information with only one specific person, concealment devices can be great for that. You just reveal the location to your compatriot and he or she retrieves the information. And now you've created what is known in the spy industry as a dead drop. Yes. Kind of a grim name for just a place to hide stuff. Yeah, I, I consider more graves dead drops than anything else. I love it. They're like, if you want to be a spy, you're going to have to learn to use a dead drop to communicate. Like, Ooh, sounds cool. What's that? Uh, it's a soda can. <laughs> it's, it's an emptied out soda can. But the name does sort of make sense because it contrasts with an alternate method for transferring information, a live drop, which is when two agents exchange the info in person. Mm. This, however, is risky because these spies are in the same place at the same time and thus can be made or identified by their actions or by their association with each other if one of you was already a suspected spy and you were being tailed now you're both suspects right but a dead drop is also risky in different ways once you've placed the item or info in a dead drop it's no longer under your control mm -hmm. if anyone tries to drink that pepsi they're just going to get a mouthful of secrets <laughs> not going to be refreshing at all spray you with documents, documents. <laughs> Also, you know, you run into the whole uh, Arnie problem in Total Recall bag left outside the building. No? You remember this? I remember Total Recall a little bit. Okay, so Total Recall, there's this scene where 
the spy meets up with Arnie, and Arnie has not realized that he has distant memories. We're talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger. You just call him Arnie. Cause Arnie, because we're tight like that. Tight like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Arnold uh, is in the hotel, and he's talking to the spy that's supposed to like help him get information about Mars, and he drops a bag outside this hotel where he's staying, and mm-hmm. he's looking out the window, and he sees the guy drop the bag, and, of course, when he gets down there, this homeless woman is like, looking over the bag no one's claimed it she grabs it she starts to walk off and he's like no no, no that's mine i don't see your name on it there's this whole thing and that's the, the yeah. problem with a dead drop right that's why you want to conceal a dead drop and hopefully no one would even know that the thing is there right but yeah i mean a dead drop could be something that is just innocuous like you know a newspaper and underneath the newspaper is something because you think no one's gonna bother with that but then what if somebody wants that newspaper because they really want to know what happened that day and then you're like, whoa, 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 there's, uh, wait a minute. I really need to see page four. <laughs> yeah, the benefit of a live drop is you control that information or document or whatever throughout the entire process. You're physically handing it off. Right. A common hiding place for secrets in World War One, for instance, was ammunition. <laughs> so you take a bullet, you pour out the propellant, replace it with a tightly wrapped piece of paper. This, by the way, another staple of the spy game, tiny paper with tiny writing. Be your tiny paper. Also, tiny electronics. Mm. Spying not for size queens. No, 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 no. If you've got issues about sizes of things... mm. A secret compartment in a vehicle, by the way, Mm. is called a trap. And some modern traps are extremely complex. Quote, one trap found in the airbag compartment of a U.S. car in 2012 would only fall open if a driver was in the seat, all the doors were closed, the defroster was turned on, and a magnetic card was swiped over a sensor hidden in an air conditioning vent. Jeebus, you forgot even one part of that, i.e. you or me. You're like, this fucking thing doesn't work. Yeah, very complicated. It's like X, B, X, Y, right, right, left. Super cheat code. Yeah. Ain't no up, up, down, down. Also, interesting postscript. That particular spy's airbag concealment method was eventually foiled by his own stupidity. His airbag had been manufactured by the Takata Corporation, and he had ignored repeated recall notices. The airbag then exploded, blasting state secrets and his brains all over the upholstery. These are lies. He wasn't using those brains anyway, so it didn't matter that much. Because only an idiot would ignore a, than, yes. a recall notice. I, I got that. Great to cut an airbag, as per one of our previous episodes. I don't know if I don't know if I'm making this clear. Once again, your ability <laughs> to handle subtlety is near non-existent you're like hey i, I made a subtle dig you, you notice the dig that i made about the thing you're a dumbass <laughs> okay that's that, there you go and i saved your life <laughs> yeah. i just want to point that out and i may point it out again at some time in the future and probably will so the airbag thing though that was a real story uh and that is an extremely complicated method of concealment but we have been concealing messages for years in clever if much more simple ways hmm. one of my favorites is the mask letter Uh, Familiar with this? No. This is a letter that is carefully crafted so that certain words are deliberately placed in specific areas of the letter, and when the recipient receives the letter, he or she places a carved design made of wood or paper over the letter, and that blocks out all of the irrelevant words and only reveals the words that fall in the carved portions of the pattern, which together create a message. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense and is cool. Right? I I like this because it takes a ton of planning and creativity. You have to be a real wordsmith to somehow fit, you know, kill the king or whatever in without it seeming suspect. Right. It's 
You're like, I've been walking all day. My feet are really killing me. This is the absolute king of foot pain. I'm experiencing stabbing sensations all the way up to my heart. Stab the king in the fucking heart. <laughs> like, yeah, I got it. I got it. Another popular form of steganography is invisible ink, <laughs> otherwise known as the sympathetic stain. Mm. George Washington called it that. Invisible ink dates as far back as the 4th century BCE. Hmm. I didn't know this, but there are tons of substances that you can use as invisible ink. For instance, if you write with lemon juice, it is completely transparent when diluted with a small amount of water, but turns brown when heated by a candle or even a light bulb. I learned this from National Treasure 1. George Washington's Culper Ring used a special formulation of oak gall ink with various salts and oak apples. This was a version of the most popular ink of the day. You may have heard of oak gall ink if you're a history buff or kind of a weirdo. But the invisible version of oak gall ink was invented by founding father James J. Hmm. The way it worked was that you would write a letter with normal ink and then write an invisible message beneath it with the invisible solution. And the recipient would then introduce a second solution, which would reveal the invisible message. Sounds like a lot of work. I get it. The letters usually contained content that was too dangerous to say out loud, like, we will attack the British at dawn, or what the hell is going on with George Washington's teeth? <laughs> Why did we bother leaving England if we're just going to be worshipping another snaggletoothed, white-haired, rich dude in the New World? Damn, that's cold-blooded. Based on his dental situation, George Washington may have had British sympathies. I mean, he, he may just come from Britain, you know, one of the two. We have some very sensitive Brits in the Discord, so I like to just throw some fuel on that fire. Oh, yeah. Every now and then. Just throw some jabs. So hiding information is the most primitive method of concealing info, and a dead drop may be the most primitive method for covertly transmitting it, but what if you want to conceal information in plain sight? Enter cryptography. Ooh. In ancient Greek, cryptos is secret and graph is to write. At its most basic, cryptography is all about creating protocols and techniques that conceal the content of private communications from adversaries. The most basic might be the substitution cipher, in which you simply substitute letters for other letters. Mm. But these can be easily broken by analyzing the frequency distribution of certain letters. Mm. For instance, if you have a long enough substitution cipher written in English, it becomes obvious that the most common letter in the cipher is probably standing in for the most common letter in the English language. The E. Got it. And you just figure out the next most common letter, and now you've got it. So, kind of easier to break down than other ones. Yeah, and it's kind of like uh, Wheel of Fortune. Mm. Like, after you get a few letters, you just fill it all in. You're like, hey, kill the king with a knife. That's probably what it says. It's probably not dill the king with a wife. <laughs> so, this is not new. There have been ciphertexts discovered dating all the way back from ancient Egypt. Hmm. One archaic version of cryptology technology is a Cytale, S-C-Y-T-A-L-E, which is kind of a brilliantly simple device. So you take a ribbon or long strip of leather, and you wrap it around a rod in a candy stripe pattern, like a barbershop pole. Mm. You then write a message across the ribbon, one letter on each coil, continuing around the rod. Then you unwind the ribbon, and it becomes just a jumble of letters. Right. The receiver of the message possesses a rod of the exact same width and thickness, so that when he or she wraps the same ribbon around the rod using that candy cane method, the letters once again align and the message is decipherable. Got it. But if you were to use a rod of any other width, it would again just be gibberish. Mm. Very clever. Yeah, for simpler times. It seems to me like you could just sort of play with it until shit lined up and it made sense. 
Mm, you'd have to play with a lot of different size rods. <laughs> As I may just say it. <laughs> Speaking of clever inventions, two inventions in particular would revolutionize the espionage game. Mm. Radio and the camera. Yeah. And this is where the Russians really shine when it comes to being the sneakiest of sneakersons. Hmm. And the Germans, too. And really some other people, I'm sure. Let's start with cameras. Oh, yes? Photographic camera technology has been around since the 1700s when it was discovered that certain substances, such as silver salts... Jesus. Did not realize how much alliteration was in that sentence. I think because one of them is a C, so I just didn't see it. Certain substances, such as silver salts... <laughs> Have fun with it, fucker. <laughs> Off you go. You wrote it. You say it. Holy hell. That was a lot of alliteration. So it was holy hell. Yeah. And, no. yeah. You love those. This is, this is fun. <laughs> there are silver salts that darken when exposed to light. Hmm. But those first cameras were giant boxes, like the classic daguerreotypes of the 18th century. The uh, booms blowed on a stick one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in 1936, a German from Russia who was living in Estonia named Walter Zapp told his wife, Honey, I shrunk the camera when he uh, built and marketed the Minox. That was the first ever sub-miniature camera. It was horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> that made me stammer at the utter horrific nature of that oh, pun. I knew that was going to be. <laughs> sub-miniature, though, may be a bit of an exaggeration. It's like, it's small hmm. for a camera of that time. Right. But I, like, I'd say it's about the size of an elongated Swiss army knife. Wow. Okay. That is pretty small, though. That's small for then. But, you know, you're not like hiding this thing in a pen or your watch or something. Yeah, hide it in your shoe. Basically, you had to be in a situation where you were unobserved, and then you could whip this thing out and take some photos with it, but it was not particularly discreet. Got it. The camera could be used with a variety of creative and sometimes comedic attachments. My favorite is the full-size pair of binoculars. <laughs> and it looks every bit as ridiculous as you're thinking it looks these cameras were utilized by spies in both the east and the west they were very popular and are still highly prized by the espionage nostalgia crowd the company is still around and now makes a digital version holy shit all right if for some reason you want to carry another small digital camera in addition to the small digital camera that we all carry in our pocket at all times mm. and does a lot of other things whereas this just takes photos this camera, just cameras. Another interesting blip in spy camera technology was the pigeon cam. Mm. There were a few contenders for most ridiculous object attached to a camera. We've already met the full-size pair of binoculars. Mm. But the pigeon cam may be even more ridiculous and is undeniably more adorable. <laughs> the first pigeon cameras were developed in 1907 by a German, Julius Neubroner. Not Oldbroner. It's this Neubroner. No. Oldbroner is my father. Ah, sorry. I'm Neubroner. Homing pigeons have long been used as messenger carriers because of their unique ability to find their way home over incredibly long distances. Mm. So Julius fitted some homing pigeons with a badass-looking leather harness and a time-delayed camera. Mm. These things were cumbersome, and I had no idea that pigeons could heft an entire goddamn Nikon into the sky. <laughs> they were used by various armies in both world wars, though they were quickly eclipsed by actual spy plane technology, so they never really took off, so to speak. But I still love the fact that if you were a soldier in World Wars 1 and 2, you probably you weren't in both. 1 or 2. God, that would... I hope you... That Fuck would suck. me. Jesus. <laughs> you 
lost the lottery of all time. Jeebus. You're also like 80 years old in World War II, which maybe we should put some age limits on this draft. Seriously. It's a little rough. No, Grandpa, you can sit down. It's fine. <laughs> I know you want revenge for all that trench all the all trench, trench mouth you, you <laughs> trench mouth and foot you had to suffer through but yeah. you know we got this yeah, we'll take this one Jesus. Uh, but i still love the fact that if you were a soldier in world wars one or two you could have smiled up at the sky every once in a while in the hopes of having a few heroic action shots snapped by some burly camera hauling pigeon photographers <laughs> what is the average flight time of the unladen world war one pigeon a more high-tech form of camera-based espionage, the microdot camera, could take a photo of a message and shrink it down drastically so that a detailed message could literally fit into the period at the end of a written sentence. Holy shit. Microdot messages could be hidden anywhere from a hollow coin to a postcard, and once received, they were read via the use of microscopes or even tiny little lenses that themselves would fit into a ring or locket. That's nuts. That's something I never knew about. Really? Yeah, but probably also very easy to lose. Yeah, or like accidentally brush off the fucking postcard. Like if you handled it too roughly, I'm sure it got blurry. Don't lick that stamp and you've got the Declaration of Independence in your colon. Mm. Yeah. So let's switch over to the other cornerstone of spy tech, the radio transmitter. Mm. The first radio transmitters don't show up until the late 1800s, developed by another German, Heinrich Hertz. Mm. Are you all getting the pattern here? Yes. The Germans do invent many things. Killing it with the technology. There's another pun that I do not appreciate from you, Englander. Anyway, Hertz, and that name may ring a bell, H-E-R-T-Z. He created the original versions of radio transmitters, so-called spark gap transmitters. They didn't send discernible audio information. They actually just transmitted pulses of radio waves, Mm. which could be used to communicate via Morse code. Would they also help you rent a nice car? From an airport, perhaps? Oh. Hurts. I get it now. Okay. Yeah. Good one. (laughs) Okay, honey. I shrunk the camera. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) Judge me from your tower. (laughs) But in 1906, an American uh, named Lee DeForest invented the vacuum tube, and radio finally found a voice. Hmm. Or many voices. Vacuum tubes led to amplitude modulation, or AM radio, Mm. which in turn led to the superior practical frequency modulation, or FM radio. Mm. Along with microphones, radio wave technology would allow the recording and transmitting of conversations over large distances. Mm. And all of us are familiar with an espionage device for recording and transmitting audio, a.k.a. a covert listening device, a.k.a. a... Bug. Yes. The tricky element of bugs is that you have to find a way to smuggle them into a sensitive location and make them small enough to be undetected once they've been, quote, planted. Another problem is power. The power source has to be tiny, which typically doesn't bode well for long-term operation. Yes. So enter the thing, a.k.a. the great seal bug, which sounds like an amazing animal mashup, but is in fact a legendary piece of spying tech that would lead directly to a common and very underrated piece of technology that we use on a daily basis. So the story behind The Thing. As World War II drew to a close, the Soviet Union's Vladimir Lenin All-Union Pioneer Organization presented a wonderful gift to their wartime ally, the United States of America. Mm. Specifically, it was presented to U.S. Ambassador Averill Harriman, and the gift took the form of a large wooden carving of the Great Seal of the United States, Mm. which is unfortunately not an adorable aqua puppy. 
but instead is an image of an eagle with his legs spread to an obscene degree, clutching an olive branch in one claw and some arrows in the other. Yes. Have you ever really looked at this thing? Yeah. I had not. And let me tell you, it is eagle porn. (laughs) I did not understand the term spread eagle before taking a closer look at this thing. It is definitely an eagle money shot. We're not we're not lying. That eagle is clearly laying on its back, fully exposed and ready to rock. He is down to F. He might stab you with an arrow or give you some olives. I guess it just depends on your performance. No, it's I mean it's clearly associating itself with, you know, food porn and also pegging. Like it's got it's got penetration, it's got food, it's it's whatever you want. He's a kinky eagle. He's down for whatever. So it turns out that if you are a large and powerful country exiting a massive global conflict and you receive a gift from a supposed ally that is also a rival superpower vying for world domination, that gesture of goodwill should raise some alarms. <laughs> Just ask the Trojans. It's a little sus. <laughs> Harryman did, in fact, have the seal scanned for bugs and radio transmitters, but here's the kicker. All previous versions of bugs had required a power source, as we mentioned. And so it was fairly easy to detect them if you knew where to look. But this bug was special. It had been developed by a Russian engineer named Leon Theremin, maker of the Theremin musical instrument, an instrument that does not require physical contact to play. It just senses the hand position of the musician and emits horribly annoying tones of various frequencies that could never be confused with music. Horrifyingly eerie tones that you might associate with something wrong with your cell phone. You've heard these, right? Oh, yeah. It's like what they use on old horror films, like from the right. 30s or something. Just like... Yeah. I'm pretty sure... <laughs> the face you're making right now is fucking priceless. <laughs> I really wish we had a live thing going on right now because the face you made... Holy shit. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Lady Gaga played it on the Graham Norton show. Really? Yeah. The theremin never gained much popularity because it's uh, terrible. Yes. But it did bring attention to theremin himself, who, as a result of his low-grade fame, was locked in a Russian gulag and forced to create spy technology. Yeah, sounds about right. I would never say that any innocent person deserved that particular fate. But uh, did I mention the theremin? It's really annoying. (laughs) Seriously, it's like training a mosquito to sing symphonies. Why? And also you. Anyway, much like the theremin, the thing didn't require a physical connection to make it work. Instead, it was a small passive device, nothing more than a long but extremely thin antenna and also a small membrane. The tiny device was inlaid into the mouth area of the eagle, and it was activated and powered via electromagnetic pulses. The Soviets simply had to direct a radio beam at Harriman's office, and the thing would be, quote, illuminated, a.k.a. activated, and immediately begin transmitting any audio that it detected. As soon as the Soviets switched off the energy beam, the thing would shut down and once again be undetectable. Genius. The thing was finally discovered by accident in 1951. It had been hanging on the wall of the American embassy in Moscow, and a nearby British radio operator noticed that he was suddenly receiving random American conversations through his equipment. Whoopsie! He alerted the American State Department, and they were eventually able to track down the bug. And then I imagine that diplomatic meetings were a bit frosty for a few months. Dick move, Boris. Dick move. (laughs) The thing, and devices like it, would eventually become known as high-frequency radio bugs, And the technology that allowed them to function essentially endlessly without any internal power source would lead directly to what we know today as RFID. 
mm. or radio frequency identification devices. If you have a cat or dog that has been chipped, you're benefiting from RFID technology. Shit, if you have one of those cards that just says BAP it here and you've paid, again. Thanks, Russian spies. <laughs> or at least Thurman guy. I guess that's you sort of pulled yourself out of that nosedive. But yeah. still, fuck you for the Thurman forever. Yeah, I think he has redeemed himself. Yeah. We already discussed one of the most notorious espionage uses of radio technology. Mm. Way back in our first episode about unexplained phenomena, we covered number stations. Yes. These are fascinating, and I encourage you to check out that episode. While they have never been conclusively and definitively acknowledged by all of the world's major governments, it's also not entirely accurate to refer to them as unexplained mm. because we know exactly what they are. Yes. They are radio stations, many of them still operating to this day, that continuously broadcast encrypted, and I think it would be fair to say cryptic, coded language or messages in order to communicate with spies in the field. Uh, coded, cryptic, and creepy as shit. Accurate. The broadcast often consists of either a young girl's voice or a robotic kind of disembodied voice simply reading a series of numbers preceded or followed by audible tones that sound a lot like a theremin, actually. Yeah, yeah. Or like really badly recorded music from a actual record. Yeah, we played one, and yeah. that one honestly uh, skewed me out. Yeah. The back of the hair neck thing happened. It was bad. Mm -hmm. But a fan. But the way number stations actually work is very simple. There is a spy out in the field tuning in with a radio and decrypting the messages using what's called a one-time pad. The pad is literally a pad of paper with different encryption keys on each page. The first portion of the radio message, often the tone, indicates which page of the pad is to be used, which key in other words, and the spy simply flips to that page and uses that particular key to decrypt the rest of the message, and then, this is critical, discards the page. Mm. Since the key is only used once, and the message tends to be short, messages from number stations are essentially impossible to decrypt. Right. And they provide a convenient method for conveying sensitive information to spies without worrying about a letter being intercepted or a phone call being recorded, etc. It's basically another case of hiding information in plain sight. Right. So many of the most famous versions of spying technology have been dead ends in the actual espionage game. They just didn't work out. Hmm. But either led to other common technologies today and or entered into pop culture. Here are some of the most famous examples. Mm -hmm. Famous at least among spy stands. The Insectothopter. In the 1970s, the CIA built a mechanical dragonfly. Technically an unmanned aerial vehicle, basically an early drone, the Insectothopter was a flying tiny bug robot, painted like a dragonfly and with wings that could flap and worked. Hmm. And blew away at the first high wind and just sacrificed around a million dollars of old money fucking R&D. Have you heard this story or did you just infer from... I divined it from the information yeah. available. That's absolutely what happened. <laughs> yeah. It could not handle crosswinds. Mm. It was very small and delicate, and they didn't think it through. <laughs> what? Yeah, no word on how many of these little insectothopters were swallowed by surprised frogs and birds. <laughs> Crunchier than expected. Just... All crunch, no substance. In the International Spying Museum in Washington, D.C., you will also find the notorious dog poop radio transmitter. Oh, wow. Which is just what it sounds like it is. Seems kind of ridiculous, but if you want to ensure that no one touches your transmitter, that is a way to go. <laughs> Except for that angry janitor who has to go by and, you know, yeah. groundskeeper has to clean it up. Fucking dogs. That, what the yeah. fuck did this dog eat? Sticking with a similar theme, there is the rectal toolkit. 
Uh, fucking what one? A smooth lozenge-shaped container filled with various tools of the spying trade. Espionage, not always glamorous. Mm. Can be uncomfortable. (laughs) You're talking about a prison wallet, dude. Here's a rule of thumb. If you ever see someone shuffling around just looking uncomfortable, there is a 99% chance that that is a spy with a toolkit up his ass. <laughs> um, I think those statistics are a bit off. But it's just math. Sure, man. The 1960s introduced the lipstick pistol, mm. a hollow lipstick tube capable of firing a single 4.5 millimeter round. Also known as fucking awesome rock band name. Lipstick pistol? Yeah. Tell me you wouldn't go see lipstick pistol. Oh, yeah. Especially if they opened up for like Guns N' Roses or, you know, Skid Row, Lipstick Pistol. It works for me. Hell yeah. But, you know, I guess some advice for female spies. uh, I'm assuming it was mostly female spies who carried these. uh, Don't miss. I don't like these one and done weapons. That is, I am not confident enough in my aim. That's where you have to have like nerves of steel because you got one shot with this thing. Mm -hmm. And if you miss, it's very awkward. I say, would you mind standing just there? I have another one in my clutch. Thank you. Did you just shoot at me with lipstick? It's very clever. I'm going to kill you now. (laughs) I am most impressed by your technology. We will be taking it back with us and learning from it. Exactly. (laughs) There was also the flashlight gun, the glove gun, the umbrella gun. Name a household item a spy has used it to shoot someone. Plunger gun? I guarantee it. We're coming to the end here, but of course we can't uh, end this episode without addressing the staple of pop culture espionage, the shoe phone, mm-hmm. which wasn't actually a phone, but it was a real device. Hmm. Made famous by the satirical 1960s television show Get Smart, in which Agent Maxwell Smart would frequently have full-on conversations by yanking off his shoe and speaking into the heel, the shoe phone was based on an actual piece of KGB spying technology, the heel transmitter. It wasn't technically a phone, and it wasn't meant to be worn. But it was basically a radio station implanted in the hollowed-out heel of a shoe. Hmm. The shoe would be hidden in the home or office of the target to record conversations. It was just a bug. Hmm. So much spying technology comes down to just a billion variations of the same theme. Right. There's listening devices in poop, listening devices in shoes, listening devices in seals, guns in lipstick, guns in flashlights, cameras in lipstick, cameras in flashlights. Like It really is just all the same tech, just repackaged into different tinier and tinier cases yeah miniaturized and repackaged Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's most of what spying technology is it's either encrypting decrypting hiding stuff three things that you do as a spy killing people with household objects yeah hiding information Mm -hmm. taking pictures nobody wants you to take yeah and sticking toolkits up your ass you're really focused on that (laughs) i think that reveals far more about you sir than anyone else who's in the spy game. So as I mentioned, we're not going to really delve into the espionage technology of the 2000s, mm. in this episode at least, for a couple of reasons. One, modern espionage is almost exclusively digital. As we discussed, it is all about decryption, hacking, and cracking. It's all internet, or at least computer-based. And while I am fascinated with computer technology, typing on a keyboard isn't quite as sexy as slinking around with a lipstick pistol mm. or planting a dog poop transmitter. I would have loved to have been the guy who planted that transmitter. Would you have also had a robot dog that just sort of opened a flap in its fake butt, dropped that out on the grass, and moved off? As I mentioned, the next episode in this series will be all about famous spying capers, as well as famous or infamous spies. So we will have another episode 
probably not next week. We're probably going to take a break from the spying, but I would say like within the month, I want to continue on our spy journey here. I would like this series to actually get finished. A lot of times we say we'll do a Mark II or something and then we don't get around to it for a long time. This is about a year. Yeah. This one though isn't so much a Mark II as it is like just a long episode kind of chopped up into parts. Right. Mark II is like, oh, well, let's look at more cryptids or more spying technology. This is actually going to be different aspects, different facets of the spying game. And I want to cover all of kind of the important parts of the espionage in different episodes. I dig it. I'm for it. All right. So as per usual, Insomniac's rate, rep, review. Say it with me. Rate, rep, review. Again, rate rep review you know where to do it go to the discord become part of the discord family it's wacky and weird and fun there are memes that make no sense thank you chaos and uh there are great people to get to know and lively debates to have and you get to decide what you know we say next for the next week it's a lot of power so go to the discord hang out with those people and then finally and forever after knowledge is power sleep is overrated (laughs) 